Welcome to Data Brunch with ICPSR. If you love data, this is going to be food for thought. I'm Dory. And I'm Anna. We're recording these episodes live from our remote offices. So please excuse cameos from canine colleagues, kids in class, and other unexpected moments. In this episode, we'll talk about our excitement about Love Data Week, um, some awesome data about dance and the great Catherine Dunham, and of course, we'll tell you about new data and more. So yes, uh, Love Data Week, which is a really big deal around here. It was the week just before Valentine's Day, and we had 85 events around the world showcasing uh, data with 22 participating institutions. There were five webinars uh, with from ICPSR with 230 webinar attendees. ICPSR runs this annual program during Love Data Week called Adopt the Data Set. This year we had 43 adopted data sets and the most frequently adopted data sets were the 2015 US Transgender Survey and the Mathematics Teaching in the 21st Century uh, study and also the study of jazz artists from 2001. You can relive everything from Love Data Week by searching for hashtag LoveData21 on your favorite social media platforms. And also save the date, Love Data Week 2022 is February 14th through 18th. Find out more at icpsr.umich.edu or send us an email at lovedataweek at umich.edu. Edu, and we will link to these in our show notes as well. So next, we want to talk about data and current events, um, and this is gonna this is a, a little less fun than the Love Data Week um, bit. So there have been some atrocious attacks on Asians during COVID nineteen, and a publication using ICPSR data finds that this is the latest result of the practice of othering, and I'm using air quotes here, in the United States. Um, So this paper, it's titled Anti-Asian Hate Crime During the COVID-19 Pandemic, Exploring the Reproduction of Inequality. And this paper is by Angela R. Gover, Shannon B. Harper, and Lynn Langton. And it's in the American Journal of Criminal Justice. And the authors outline how the perpetuation of racism and xenophobia has led to hate crimes and the abuse of Asian Americans. They use the Uniform Crime Reporting Program and the National Crime Victimization Survey, which they retrieved from the National Archive of Criminal Justice Data, um, known here as NACJD, which is housed at ICPSR to find annual counts of racially motivated hate crime that occurred between 2003 and 2018. And you can find links to this paper as well as the data behind it in the ICPSR Bibliography of Data-Related Literature. Um, And as well, in new and updated data, um, we have the Survey of Consumer Attitudes and Behavior for November and December 2016, which features respondents' thoughts about purchasing houses and automobiles and computers, um, as well as other durable goods. We also have an update to the Survey of Household Economics and Decision-Making, which is SHED. Um, It's known as SHED. That's the acronym. 
Um, and it was the April 2020 supplemental survey in the United States. So the 2019 complete survey was conducted in October 2019, and that offered a picture of personal finances prior to the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. And then to obtain updated information in the midst of the closures and the stay-at-home orders, there was a smaller supplemental survey that was conducted in April 2020, which focused on labor market effects and households' overall financial circumstances at that time. So that's what this update is. Dory, over to you. I am here with ICPSR's Amber Amon-Ra, who's a Senior Data Project Manager at ICPSR. And Amber is here to talk to us about the Dunham's Data Project, uh, which if you haven't heard about it before, you are in for a treat. Okay, so Amber, how are you? I'm good, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining us. So I have to know, uh, the first question for you is how did the Dunham's Data Project come to ICPSR? Um, it's actually kind of a funny story. Um, I had no idea that there was a conference called Collegium for African Diaspora Dance, CAD. It's held at Duke every other year. Um, and it focuses on scholars of black dance. So anything academic where researchers have explored anything regarding black dance, they meet at this conference. And I saw that this group was presenting on Ms. Dunham's data. And I have been a lifelong follower of Ms. Dunham's work. I've studied her technique since I was little. So I was really excited to kind of see what they had found and what kind of data they were producing. And unfortunately, I missed their presentation because they presented the last day of the conference and I left early that morning. But I basically ran up to them and gave them an elevator pitch um, because I perused their website and I noticed that they didn't have anything about where the Dunham was going to be housed, where, where the data was going to be housed um, after they finished collecting it. So I gave them like a three minute elevator pitch where I said, hey, we have this great archive uh, that would love to have your data. Let's talk more. Gave them my card and then I reached out a couple of days later and the rest is history. They are here. We have the data um, and it's very exciting for us. So you mentioned earlier that you were a lifelong fan of Catherine Dunham's choreography. Tell us more about that. Yeah, so I'm actually currently in the certification process to teach her technique. But um, growing up, my mom was studying her technique and she was certified way back in 1993. And, ooh, she's going to hate that I said way back. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but way back in 1993. And while she was in East St. Louis living in Miss Dunham's houses, um, studying the technique and how to teach it and getting her certification, I went with her. And I think I was about 11 years old, but that was my real introduction to Miss Dunham. Um, I knew who she was, but it wasn't until that summer that she really knew who I was. Mm -hmm. And I used to just sit in her bedroom and listen to her stories, listen to her talk about her travels. 
And while my mom was getting certification, Miss um, Dunham's children's company was rehearsing every day at her museum. And so I got an opportunity to train with them. And that summer, I actually performed in their summer concert. So I learned some of her choreography when I was younger. So my next question for you, Amber, is so when you were this little 11 year old kid and uh, and you met Catherine Dunham, did you have any sense that you were talking to uh, one of the most successful uh, people with one of the most successful dance careers uh, of African-American and European theater of the 20th century? Like, what was your uh, realization of just the, uh, the scope? I would have to say I did. And so let me set the stage a little bit for how Miss um, Dunham's I don't want to call them followers, but that's a popular term now. They, you know, we weren't followers back then, but the people who know about Ms. Dunham and have seen her work and have taken her technique, they're always enamored by her. And one of the cool things about Ms. Dunham is that she knew how to make an entrance. So whenever she would teach a master class, um, she would have a yearly conference and people from all over the world would come to the conference. And whenever she would teach at the conference, it would be a huge deal that Miss Dunham was coming. We would all gather in whatever large space we were getting ready to take the class and someone would be on lookout basically telling the rest of us when she was coming. And when she would enter the space, there would be a battery of drummers who would welcome her and open the space up and people would just be on their feet and in tears and clapping because we knew her importance. There would just be a, an overwhelming feeling of excitement that you were getting ready to learn from a legend. And when I tell you those classes would be three and four hours long, <laughs> she would it would be part lecture, it would be some self-help in there, it would be a lot of movement. A lot of times she would be exploring movement. So still in her 80s and 90s, she was creating new movement and she was still okay. studying the dances from people all over the diaspora and bringing them back to her students. Well, thank you for giving us a better idea of her impact on the dancers and the arts and the community that you are part of. I want to say a little bit about the, um, the PIs, the principal investigators who, who were instrumental in bringing this project to ICPSR. So shout out to Harmony Bench from Ohio State University, and Kate Ellswit from the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama. And um, you recently had a uh, webinar with them where we talked about these data um, and shared some, some of the really cool data visualizations with the ICPSR community. Can you talk about more of how the PIs uh, measured the movement in this project? Yeah, one of the really spectacular things about this project is that they've already developed so many visualizations that kind of help you conceptualize how you could view the data um, that they make available on their website and that we link to from ours so that you can see cool things like who was in the company at the same time, who joined the company where, so you can see what members joined when she went to Philippines. Um, mm -hmm. or who joined when she her company performed in Brazil. And you can see kind of the, the way that her work kind of morphed. 
So she may have been showing Lagia, which is one of her famous pieces, and Shango at the same time. But you get to see how maybe her program morphed because she took great care in what she was presenting. She didn't just throw pieces on stage and say, here's a performance. She had rhyme or reason to why she had certain pieces performed at certain times. And I didn't give a great example of two that were largely connected, but you'll be able to see that kind of throughout her work. You'll kind of see when she used, um, when she showed Barrel House and how those pieces in some of her um, ballets, some of her larger works, how she fit some pieces in and took some pieces out where she thought that maybe it didn't quite give the story that she was trying to give. So she made some really smart changes kind of while she was traveling and performing so that certain audiences got a certain experience. And you'll be able to see that kind of following some of their visualizations because they do a really good job of connecting the dots. I don't know. Did I share that Ms. Dunham gave me pneumonia? Did I share that story with them? I don't think you did. Okay. I'll share this story really quickly. Um, So that summer, I also got something else from Ms. Dunham, a great gift. She gave me walking pneumonia. Um, She had it and didn't find out for a while that she had it. And I had already gone back to Michigan and I was actually on my way with my mom to visit another Dunham friend in Vermont. And the day before, I basically had a really bad asthma attack and they took me to the doctor and realized I had pneumonia. And I caught that from Miss Dunham. Oh no, (laughs) but you both recovered? Oh yeah, Um, I barely had any symptoms. I was maybe sick like two or three days. Um, Mm -hmm. And Miss Dunham had, she just had an amazing constitution because she did a 47 day strike not long before that, back in 1992, um, okay. a 40-day hunger, a 47-day hunger strike um, mm-hmm. to protest uh, the president at the time, uh, the first George Bush, mm-hmm. wasn't allowing Haitian refugees into the country and was basically turning them away um, mm-hmm. off the coast of Miami. And mm-hmm. she thought that was horrible. And they were escaping political strife in Haiti. And she wondered Mm -hmm. why there were people from other countries who could come in for those same reasons, but our government Mm -hmm. was not letting Haitians in. And so she protested by not eating and she bounced back from that. Um, And she was, you know, an older woman. So the fact that she was doing these things in her 80s and 90s just says so much about her strength and who she was as a person. When she believed in something, Mm -hmm. she was definitely going to fight for that. Well, we're talking about different dances uh, used, you know, uh, strategically during different times. Do you remember the first dance that you yourself ever learned? When I was in the children's company and performing with the children's company, Los Indios was an amazing piece. And while I did not perform it as one of um, the lead dancers, I still got to learn the movement. And a dance that I had seen many times and thought was, really good and I love the music it was so cool to actually learn the movements both in class and actually have it staged where I got to run through the dance as if I was going to perform it so that gave me a I think a a better understanding of how her choreography worked and the translation from what we learn in class in her technique and how she moved that into full pieces and full presentations of dance 
thank you. I'll ask you that to get your mind away from the data for a minute. <laughs> um, but now back to data. Okay. What sorts of uh, what sorts of projects or research can you see the Dunham's data getting used for? So I think one of the things that um, the researchers were trying to avoid was only having PhDs and dance scholars find this data interesting. I think the type of data that they have provided gives kind of endless possibilities for the way that the data can be used. Um, I think journalists could use the data. I think high school students could use the data. Undergraduate students in particular. Um, I know that U of M's dance department will be taking a look at including research assignments um, that will utilize the data to get one dancers used to also being um, data users, but also to help them kind of understand more about Ms. Dunham's global impact. So I can see this data being used in many different ways by many different people, not just dancers who are interested in learning more about, about Ms. Dunham, but dancers and just students who are curious about where she was, who was impacted by her, what was going on in the world at the time, because Ms. Dunham was definitely a political activist. Her, her work did not stop at choreography and art. It went well beyond that. So I could see people from a lot of different areas finding use for her data. What do you think is the future of dance data itself? Ooh, that's tough. Give me a second. <laughs> mm -hmm. Dance data. I never back down from a challenge. <laughs> um, okay, so one of the cool things that I learned more about um, at CAD was that there are so many dance scholars doing all types of research with data and different types of data. So you have the qualitative, you have the quantitative, you have people reviewing video, um, you have people reviewing the news clippings when dances were performed. You have, there are people that analyze um, programs to see what kinds of dances were being performed at a, at a certain period of time. I mean, there are so many things that you can do with research and dance. And I think my eyes were really opened when I went to CAB because you had everyone from, you know, re regular dancers off the street to professors who teach dance at this conference talking about their research. One of the things that I think has lacked is um, having a database, having a place where the data is quantitative that researchers can actually go and run computations and and run some of the statistics that we're running in other areas of research. And I think that this is probably going to be um, the spark that other researchers will need to develop their own databases. And if they're already created, hopefully place them somewhere where other people can use them. Because I think one of the hardest things um, for researchers to do is to share their data. And they just don't know that they can. So I think by sharing Ms. Dunham's data, that'll get other researchers um, thinking about the ways that they can make their data available as well. Okay, so I know you like a challenge. So 
What is the one song someone could play at a party that gets you out on the floor no matter what you were doing before? Ooh. <laughs> oh, Dory. <laughs> um, that's a great question. Um, probably anything by Michael Jackson or Prince, like literally anything. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, anything by Michael Jackson or Prince. And I will okay. say that I think Michael Jackson has done a lot for dance, um, mm -hmm. because his choreography was always front and center in all of his for performances, sure. in all of his videos. So Michael Jackson, for sure, anything by him, I'm out on the floor. Okay. Do you know any routines from Michael Jackson? I definitely know quite a few parts of Thriller. And okay. I would totally learn it if someone wanted me to do it at a wedding. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. How can listeners find out more about Dunham's data or contact you? Oh, there's so many ways. Um, if they come to ICPSR's website and they just put in Dunham's data, they can find it that way. Dunham's data is Googleable. They'll find our website as well as the Dunham Data Project's website, which is dunhamsdata.org. Um, they can reach out to me, send me an email at amberb, A-M-B-Y-R-B, at umich.edu. Um, and I know Kate and Harmony are very open to having more dialogue about their research and answering any questions. So there are various ways. I know from our website, um, you can actually reach out to them as well. Thank you so much, Amber, for joining us. It's just been a, uh, an honor to talk to you about this amazing data set. And thank you to everyone who was instrumental in bringing these data to the ICPSR community and just to the world, you know, for people to reuse in the years to come. Oh my gosh, the Dunham data is some of my favorite stuff. I, I could listen to this forever. Thank you so much, Amber, for being here. Um, so in upcoming events, we have great news. We are hiring. As of the date of this podcast, we have four positions open. These positions are in IT, um, project management, and more. And you can follow us on social media to get links to those position openings. And of course, the links will be in the show notes as well. Um, and we also want to let you know that registration is now open for the ICPSR Summer Program in Quantitative Methods. If you haven't come to this, uh, this training program, it is incredible. You've absolutely got to come. The short workshops will start in May. And the four-week sessions start on June 21st, 2021. And everything is virtual, again, for 2021. So all of those workshops, all of those classes, everything will be taking place virtually. Um, we want to give you a heads up that applications are due on March 22nd, 2021, for the IRIS workshop, which is titled Joining the Data Revolution, Big Data in Education and Social Science Research. This is a free workshop and it is really popular and we've had a lot of applications. Um, so please get your applications in fast. Um, there are instructions for applying for this workshop in our show notes as well. And just so you know, the ICPSR summer program scholarship applications are due by March 29th. Um, and then we have another upcoming event on April 1st 
we have Open ICPSR, ICPSR self-publishing repository uh, webinar. And this is free and open to the public. Please do share this widely. You can find registration information for that webinar at icpsr.umich.edu. And we want to note that if you are listening to this episode at a later date, you can always visit icpsr.umich.edu to see our current job listings and upcoming events and more. Thank you so much, Anna. And that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you, everyone, for being with us. For links to data and everything else that we talked about today, visit our show notes at icpsr.umich.edu. Coming up, we'll talk about the U.S. Transgender Survey and the 2008 National Transgender Discrimination Survey. If you aren't already, subscribe now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you, as always, to the ICPSR membership. This podcast would not be possible without the ICPSR members. You can get in touch with us by visiting our website, icpsr.umich.edu, or emailing us at icpsr-podcast at umich.edu. I'm Anna. And I'm Dory. And thanks for joining us at ICPSR's Data Brunch. <laughs>